Hey, where's Jenna? Where's Jenna and the worship team? I don't know where she is. She's backstage somewhere. Some of the worship team is here, but I just want to say that song blesses me. Thank you so much for playing that song. I think I'm going to shorten my message so we can get into worship a little bit faster at the end of the service. Um, But let me just tell you, I want to share with you a similar thing that was on my heart as we got started last week, and that is when we sing this song, I want to tell you what, what God is doing in my heart and share it with you. I'm just touched by what God is doing in the church today. Things, history is going down. It's headed towards the finish line. I'm not a gloom and doom kind of guy, but I do believe that God is raising up the church in this hour. And these Romans 8 kind of passages that we're singing about in this song, they get me thrilled because I know that God is moving in such a way. As one person has said it, he said, it's no longer going to be about the great men of God, but this era is going to be about the great God of men and the great God of women. And that is what God is doing in the, in the earth today. He's raising up a glorious church in some ways, nameless, faceless. We just get to be a part of what he's doing. And it's wonderful and you don't want to miss it. And I say, God, every time we sing a song like this, I say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing on the earth today. And thank you for just letting me be a part. I don't care what role I play. Just let me grab onto the hem of your garment, Jesus, so to speak. And let me get the healing I need and let me be just involved. Whatever role you have for me. And I actually remember... Um, a time uh, I was in France, actually it was the first summer I was visiting France, summer of 2002, and I remember having this kind of poetic Holy Spirit kind of moment, and I, I was on one of the beaches of Normandy, and this wasn't a sand beach, it was a beach of pebbles and stones, and so I took up one of the pebbles, and I did my rock skipping deal, and was having time with the Lord, and I, I wrote down, I remember writing down in my journal, I said, oh God, will you just throw me into the ocean of your will? And, you know, I don't care what I do or what role you want me to play, but just toss me into the ocean of your will because I want to be about what you are doing on the earth. And that's what I think about when we sing this kind of song. God's doing a great thing through ordinary people like you and me who are living extraordinary values like loving God passionately, sharing life together, and proclaiming Jesus unashamedly. That's what he's doing in the church today. And I say, Lord, I want to be a part. Amen? Amen. It's what I want. Join, join, join with me. Join with us in saying, God, won't you please just use us? We love you. So, amen. Awesome. Well, hey, raise your hand if you're, if you're a high school student visiting today. We're just glad you're here. Awesome. Okay, so glad you're here. You got a yeah, round of applause for these guys. We are thrilled that you're here. My name is Neil Hubacher, pastor of the harbor, and I just want to pray for you, and if those are around, we're just going to pray a quick prayer for these high school students. Um, as we were praying earlier before the service, we said, Lord, we just want them to get direction from God. So that's what I'm going to pray for you, if you don't mind. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these wonderful students that are in our midst, Lord, and we're asking, cover them and bless them. Lord, you know what's going on in their homes at home. You know what's going on in their souls and their hearts, their minds, their wills. You know their dreams. You know their fears. God, and you know also how they want to be thrown into the ocean of your will. And if that's here in the North Shore, then praise God. If it's elsewhere, then praise God. What we want is we want them to hear your voice and be able to move on into their senior year of high school and then into years beyond by the grace of God and led by God. You're a good shepherd. We proclaim over these students, Lord, that they can hear your voice because you're a good shepherd. So, Lord, lead them and guide them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Another show of hands. How many of you have ever seen 
the movie Slumdog Millionaire. There we go. Okay, now keep your hand up if you're a high school student you saw it. Okay, a bunch of sinners. It's rated R. I'm mad at you guys. <clears throat> so, too bad. Found you out. Can't hide. <clears throat> All right. So, wow. You guys are easy today. This is good. <clears throat> Slumdog Millionaire. I want to call to mind Jamal Malik, the main character of Slumdog Millionaire. Kelsey and I love this movie. We're excited because we're going to India this summer with the Navigate Training School. But Jamal Malik, the main character, had something that few of us have so clearly or explicitly. And that is Jamal Malik had a kind of a resolving situation that made sense of all his very difficult situations. And many of you know the movie, so let me just be brief in saying, you know, the, um, the whole movie is told from the standpoint of Jamal Malik who's participating in the Indian version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And he is getting every question right all the way up to the 20 million rupee question. And of course the whole movie is a flashback into every one of his difficult circumstances, every one of his trials, every one of these situations that are just unbelievably painful and how every one of those situations was enabled him to answer a question. And so we see in Jamal Malik an incredible situation that he was able to make sense of it all as he showed up on this game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And, um, you know, some of those bad things, you know, if, if you can just remember the hardship of his life, um, you know, from the very beginning, his brother, uh, Salim, steals the autographed uh, picture he has of a Bollywood star and sells it. Um, their own mother dies at the hands of the, in the Bombay kind of uprising that was a religious uprising. They see their own mother die. And so they then um, are taken by kind of a slumlord uh, named Maman. And uh, they just narrowly escape as they realize what this guy's doing. He's, he's gouging out the eyes of the kids so they can be better um, beggars, you know, and they barely escape there. Then, of course, there's this whole drama with Jamal's brother, um, Salim, who ends up uh, working with a rival crime lord and... Um, Latika is the third of their little group, their threesome. And there's a whole kind of love triangle thing there, and I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it. But again, long story made short, the incredible thing, that the thing that we're looking at at, at um, Slumdog Millionaire is the fact that Jamal had this situation where he was able to make sense of everything else. Because in our own lives, when pain comes, when trial comes, when difficulty comes, we often lack what we need to interpret what's going on. We don't always understand what is God doing through this. And uh, if we look at, at another group of guys who are kind of missing it all the time, you know, they didn't have the Jamal uh, um, revelation until much later, but the disciples. Okay, think of this group of, of 12 guys. And, and just remember, Jesus is always kind of frustrated with them because he's like, don't you guys get it yet? And really all through Jesus' time with them, the three years that he spent with them, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it until after he had gone. And I just imagine how did, that must have weighed on Jesus because they didn't understand what was going on until much later. And so I just bring us to a couple simple questions today, this morning. And those questions are, you know, have you been in a situation? Can you think of a circumstance that you're in that at the time you didn't understand what was going on? You, you lacked what was needed to interpret what was happening. You know, typically a trial or a difficult time. Or I wonder if even some of us in this room are in that situation right now. 
you're in a trial, you're in a hard spot, and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? Um, and you're not interpreting correctly what God is doing in your life. For some of you students, you know, I think of my own wife. My wife in middle school had a terrible thing happen to her. She had a friend betray her in an awful way. And I mean, it was serious. Like, even the police actually got involved because the betrayal was so intense. It's a wound that's totally shaped my wife. Now, with the God perspective on it, she, the incredible um, redemptive thing that God has done is my wife is very careful and wise with her words. She doesn't speak badly about people because she knows what it's like to be on the other end of someone who speaks badly. It's amazing what God has done. But maybe in middle school or in high school, you're wondering, God, why this relationship issue? Maybe some of you in college, you're wondering, why didn't this major work out? Or where are the finances going to come from for me to get this degree? Some of you workers, you employees, you're asking, why my boss? <laughs> you know, why? Just why? Why this boss at this time? Or why did I get passed over for that promotion? Husbands and wives, you're looking at each other going, oh my gosh, I married this? I didn't expect that. Wow, this is different. And moms and dads, we've we got some moms and dads in the audience who are maybe wondering, why did my son or why did my daughter, why are they failing to launch to use another movie reference. They're just not moving on in life. When things are happening to us and we have trouble interpreting what is God doing, we are not alone. And we have a great friend in this person we've been looking at these last few weeks, Jonah. So I want you to turn to Jonah 4 because we have great company and someone who didn't understand what in the world is God doing. And in Jonah's case, it didn't seem like a big trial, you know? This incredible move of God happened in Jonah's life. At his preaching, a whole city of, we'll find out, 120,000 repents. You'd think Jonah would be pumped. God, you did an amazing thing. You're a glorious God. How awesome you are. But instead, Jonah 4, verse 1. What is Jonah's response? Talk about a guy who misses what God's doing. He doesn't understand what's happening. Jonah 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Huh. Imagine if God swept through the North Shore and all of a sudden our church is next week. As me and the other pastors of the North Shore have been praying, we just prayed it last Tuesday, we prayed that Easter would be, to use one of my wife's expressions, off the chain. <laughs> We're believing that Easter is going to be off the chain in this city, that people are going to show up at church. And what would you think with me if I got up at Easter with, you know, this room filled with 500 people who have never been to church before, and I said, you know, I'm greatly displeased and I'm angry today. What, you know, what would I be missing? Something's not quite right there. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, as he did in the belly of the whale. He prays to the Lord and he says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? In other words, this is why in chapter 1 I ran away. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, Jonah is missing it big time. And he's even quoting, I bet he knew from memory this this verse from Exodus 34, that's where he's quoting from. And do you remember 
Back in Exodus 33, Moses was being commissioned by God. And God was saying, Moses, I need you to lead my people. And Moses had a wonderful, humble desperation. He said, oh God, I'll do this thing. But the only way I'm going to do this is if you go with me. I need your presence. Your presence must come with me. And so God's response is, all right, I'll go with you. And I'm going to show you who I am. So he puts Moses in the cleft of a rock. says, hey, you can't see my face. I'm going to pass by. My glory is going to pass by. And as the glory passes by, God reveals who he is, his character. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, maintaining love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And surely, Jonah knows this by heart. He's a good Jew. He's a prophet. He knows this by heart. But yet, isn't it funny? He's got it memorized in his mind, but he doesn't know it yet in his heart of hearts. Don't you know God's always going to test that? God's going to test us. You know, we pray. We've been praying as a church for the three years of our existence. We've been saying, Lord, we pray. Come to Beverly. Come to the North Shore. Ooh, what happens though? When another church plant springs up at the very church we started in, or the very facility we started in, the YMCA, what happens when some of our people end up going there? Ooh, Lord, I want to die. I'm ashamed. Get me out of here. I've had a few of those feelings. But we don't stay there because we say, wait a second, what's God's character? He wants to bless this city. I don't care who he does it through. If I get to be around, great. If not, then he's sovereign and I'm not. Praise God. Let's look at verse 4. But the Lord replied to Jonah, who's having his little pity party here, have you any right to be angry? But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? And I love what God does here. Because then we'll see Jesus. When Jesus comes to the earth a few centuries later, he is going to do the same thing. He's always asking the right question, getting to our heart. So God just asked a simple question, and he is getting to our heart. And here's what God is doing. As we've been saying during this series, I just want to point something out to you. We've been saying, what do we say? We say, the Lord who, or we say, um, God, God chases me. How do we say it? Hold on. The God who chases me. Thank you. <laughs> okay. The God who chases me will catch me. The God who catches me will, what did we learned last week, he will make me fruitful. And now what I'm saying is the God who makes me fruitful will tend to my roots Okay, he doesn't want to just use you and boom, be done with you. But the God who chases you, he catches you. When he catches you, he makes you fruitful. Even I mean, that, That's the thing, beyond our wildest dreams, he wants to make you fruitful more than you want to be fruitful. And then he tends to your roots. Okay, if we're going to use the tree analogy of us being fruitful, then he also tends to our roots. You got a palm tree in your hand. Uh, hopefully not a whole tree, just a branch. <laughs> That'd be weird <laughs> and really expensive. So... We just paid for a few. Show me those palm branches. Raise those up. Let me show you something. Wow. I love it. Some of them made into crosses. We've got armbands over here. The creativity of this church is beyond compare. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so you got your palm branch. You can just hold it in your hand. Just look at it. Do you know that palm trees, their roots actually are, are usually no thicker than your finger? Okay, we got these palm trees, tons of varieties grown, you know, when you get to Virginia and the Carolinas and then Florida, Georgia. We got these palm trees growing. And when you, let's say you are hanging out in 
Myrtle Beach, which you love to do, South Carolina, and you decide you want to take a palm tree home. Of course, you're not going to take it home to here where it would die, but you're going to transport it to maybe somewhere else like your friends in Georgia. And uh, when you transport your, plant, your uh, palm tree, you have to be very careful about the depth of the roots. If the roots are too high, it won't take root. If you plant the tree too deeply, the roots won't get the water they need. My point is that the roots make the difference. For you to have this palm branch in your hand, someone obviously had a healthy palm tree with good roots at the right level. That's the issue. And so it is with our hearts. God is after the roots. He's after our thoughts. He's after our hearts in doing great things with us. The very thing that I started out saying, in us being a part of the church, he's not just going to forget about our hearts. He's going to tend to our roots. He's going to deal with our hearts. He's going to make sure that we've been transformed so we understand this character that God pronounces in Exodus 34. Now, Jonah didn't quite get it, so God, being the incredible teacher that he is, illustrates it physically. Follow with me from Jonah 4, verses 5 to 9, let's say. So Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Is God really going to relent? Is he really going to keep his hand at bay, his judgment at bay? Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. And by the way, this isn't this is probably providential. It's not really miraculous. There are, in the, in the desert here, of, um, kind of Iraq, Iran, in this area, this is a legit thing. I've just forgotten the name of the plant, but there is a plant that kind of grows in this rapidity. But it's probably providential that it happened right near Jonah. Not necessarily a miracle. Verse 7. But at dawn the no- next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Again, Jonah, pity party. What does he say? He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. Woe is me. I am miserable. The circumstance is miserable. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right? Do you have any right? To be angry about the vine. I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. Again, centuries later, Jesus will come and he'll get after this same issue in the heart of his followers, okay? Right now, God is speaking to his people through Jonah. Jesus is speaking to you and me as we look at some of the stories. And can I just remind us of a few of them? I think we know some of them well, but God is after our hearts Remember Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say when he's teaching about his enemies, right? And how we're to respond to enemies. And remember, to Jonah, Nineveh would have been an incredible enemy because of their cruelty. And with great fear and trembling, he obeyed God and went there. But what's Jesus' teaching? We're to love our enemies. And how does Jesus frame it? He says, because God, he causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the character of God. That's what he's trying to work in you and me so that even when our enemies provoke us, we can still love them in response. Or what about this one? Do you remember when Jesus sent out? He, he commissioned his disciples. He sent out, he sent out two by two. 
And um, some, some, at some point, he sends out 72, and he, another point, he just sends out the 12. But as Luke records it, he sends them out, and incredible things happen. They're very fruitful. Like Jonah was fruitful. Like you and me can be fruitful in the kingdom, doing the things of God. They came back, and they were pumped. And their response was, Jesus, this is awesome. Even the demons submit to you, right? This was fun. It was the best mission trip we ever had, you know? It's what happened to us, and we came back from Morocco last year. There was glory. It was a, it was a, it was a tough mission trip on one hand. It's like we, we didn't, you know, the, 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 the Arab Muslim world isn't where you just, boom, see tons of fruit all the time you show up like you do, say, in Latin America. But I mean, man, God visited us, and just we had been together for a week just doing outreach and loving people, and God had really shown up and had done some miraculous things among the people of Morocco. And we're just, this is awesome, God. Well, the disciples encountered the same thing. You've encountered it sometimes on your own mission trips or whatnot. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, yeah, woo, demons submit, good times. It's only going to get better. It's not what he says. He says, hey, you guys, you should rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. In other words, let's get the perspective here. You should rejoice in the character of God. You should rejoice in humility that God's included you. That's what I'm after. That's the heart we're after. We're not after a heart of, yeah, power for power's sake, this is fun. But God's after a heart of, I'm just glad to be with you, God. Thank you for including me. Thank you for our relationship. You're familiar also in Matthew 20, the story of the landowner, remember? Jesus tells the story of a landowner who hires people at different times throughout the day. At the end of the day, he goes to give wages and he gives the day's wage not only to the ones who'd been there since like nine in the morning, but even to the guys who showed up at 4.30 and worked for half an hour. And the guys who'd been working from the beginning said, what's the deal? And the landowner says, hey, what's it to you if I'm generous? I gave you what I promised you. I promised you a denarius. You got it. I can give a denarius to these guys who worked half an hour. Do you have a problem with that? That's honestly what God is asking you and me daily. Do you have a problem with that? (laughs) Do you have a problem with me being generous? Do you have a problem with me loving those who don't look like you, smell like you, act like you? Do you have a problem with me wanting to reach the very people that are distasteful to you? Kelsey and I were at a, um, a little kids' play area yesterday in the South Shore. And, um, and, um, you know, I was, you know, it's one of these things, like three levels of, like tubes where you, you know, crawl around. So I'm crawling around in there with Jaren. They said the parents could hang out there if they took off their shoes. So <laughs> my son is just 18 months, so I didn't want him to get lost in here and whatever. So I'm playing around with him. And then there's another, um, you know, there's, there's a young man there with his daughter. He's got like long hair. He smells of smoke and beer. And he's like just kind of yelling at his daughter like, go faster, go faster, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm just totally turned off by him. And I'm also just kind of worried for his family life. Honestly, I'm like, oh boy. But you know, God just brought to my mind, Jesus died for this man. And so, you know, I didn't get into a huge gospel conversation with him, but I said, you know, I did say, um, at one point I said, dude, you're, there's one of these little swings inside this huge mega contraption. There's a, a, like a, a rope thing that you grab and just slide a little bit. And I said, dude, your daughter was awesome on the, on the swing thing. And you should have seen this guy. And he's out puffing a cigarette. And um, I was like, dude, your daughter was awesome on there. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, 
just a little teeny word of encouragement, something this guy probably never hears and probably that he's never going to be able to give to his daughter unless he gets it more. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. smoking his butt. Yeah, cool. And I was just like, God, thank you. I mean, just, just a little, let me just transfer a little love to somebody today because that's what's going to break through for this guy. That's what God wants to do in you and me. He wants us to be generous like God is generous. And I love this one. This is one of these small ones that I think we miss in our, in our reading, but it's just such a good one. Actually, I think I'm just going to read it because it's so good. It's a little one in Luke 17. Jesus is just kind of getting after our attitudes like God is getting after Jonah's attitude. And he says this, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Verse 9, would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And again, there's a little cultural disconnect for us because we don't, you know, few of us have these kind of indentured servants. If you do, we probably need to talk afterwards and I'll refer you to the human trafficking people. <clears throat> but listen to what Jesus says. He's speaking to his disciples. You also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. And let me just tell you, that is something that over your lifespan, God is wanting to do in you and me. He's just trying to transform us. It's humility. So we're just thankful to be alive, thankful to be a part of what he's doing. That's what he's doing. So, on to verse 10 and 11 in Jonah. Jonah's still throwing his party, pity party. I'm angry enough to die, and now God responds. Verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. In other words, you, you have so much concern about this little thing that happened. But check this out. Verse 11, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Is God not concerned about Boston and New York and Rio de Janeiro and Paris? Is he not concerned about Cairo and Tokyo? Yes, he is. He is uber concerned. And what he's after is, a transformation in us that allows the character of God to come through. That's what he's after. And where we, you know, the book ends here. We don't know how Jonah responds ultimately. It's an open-ended thing. So you and I can come right into the drama and say, yes, God, you should be concerned about this city and you should be concerned about my high school and my college and you should be concerned about my family and our neighborhood. Where Jonah kind of misses it, Jesus picks it up. And we read this responsive reading this morning. We have Jesus. Let's just, can we just get what Jesus did on the triumphal entry? You know, Jesus knows in his heart of his heart that these guys are kind of missing it, right? They're all waving the palms. They're rejoicing with him. And he's, he's doing it kind of a fill scripture. But I know, we know that Jesus knows that the end is near. Inside, he has a, probably a gut response of, oh God, you know, this is, <laughs> this is fulfilling scripture here, what's happening. It's appropriate for me to be coming into Jerusalem with, with the worship of the people, but I know things are about to turn. And these very people who are worshiping me right now are about to be a part of a crowd saying crucify him because of the fickleness of humanity and just our weakness. 
So Jesus comes in, and his response when he sees Jerusalem is, Jesus weeps over the city. Now, selfish people aren't able to weep over others. Self-consumed people, self-piteous people aren't able to weep over others. And so I have a response. One of my responses today is, Oh God, will you break my heart again? I want to weep over what you weep over. And Jesus' weeping is, as we read, it's, Oh, I wish, Jerusalem, every one of you, I'd wish to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks. You know, I, I, I want to love you, but you won't have it. I want to give you peace. I want to announce to you peace, but you don't get it. Peace isn't going to come through a political king. I'm not a political king. The peace of God is coming through the kingdom of God, through God, excuse me, breakfast, mm. God, um, <clears throat> which it's actually, I had cereal at like 11 o'clock last night. I, so here it is coming up. Thank you, God. So, <laughs> right, I, um, huh, thank you, God. The kingdom of God's coming through, through the hearts of his people. That's what's going to bring Jerusalem peace, not sort of um, a, a political victory. So, so let me just go back to our question, right? What events are going on in your life that are difficult, that are dumbfounding? You know, are you interpreting them correctly? Is there a hardship? Is there a trial? Because often, let me give us a little key, a little litmus test. What has Jonah's response been when God has, when God has said, hey, I'm compassionate? What's, what's Jonah's emotional response been? It's been, to our surprise, he's, he's angry. He's pumped. Uh, he's not pumped, excuse me. He's angry. So I just want to say sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it's appropriate you get angry, you're, you know, someone cuts you off. Okay, Lord, I'm angry. But sometimes anger is, is, can be a key to a place where God is working for you to relinquish a right. Can I just repeat that? Because it sure is happening in my life right now. Sorry, I'm not angry all the time. <laughs> I'm just, um, well, I'll go into that later, perhaps. There are moments when I'm angry and I realize, wow, the reason I'm angry about this is because God is highlighting what I think is a right, like a right to be angry, a right to do this with my time, a right to have this, or people should respond to me this way or that. And it's in that very place of anger that God's actually wanting to highlight, that's not a right that you have. You know, will you lay it down? Just relent. Will you lay down? Let me be the gracious and compassionate God that I am. Lay down that right so I can be myself in and through you. So, again, where is God working in your life? Where are you lacking God's perspective on an event? I imagine that it is a very place, right? It'll, it'll seem dumbfounding, right? It'll be like, God, I'm trying to serve you. I, I want to do this or that, and nothing's coming through, and what's, not, you know, what's happening? And it's in that very place where God is saying, hey, let me grab a hold of your life. Let me tend to your roots. Where is God tending to your roots today? Where do you not know his character? Where is his character not coming out in how you respond to your loved ones or your friends? That is the question today. And this is why it's important that we look at this question. The reason it's important that we as the harbor examine this question thoroughly. The reason that we say, God, please tend to my roots. Yes, make me fruitful, but also tend to my roots is because we need to be a church that weeps over Tokyo. We need to be a church that weeps over Libya. We need to be a church that weeps over our next-door neighbor who doesn't know God. We need to be a church who weeps over Beverly, the North Shore. Massachusetts has some five million people in it. I can't remember. Maybe the new census is maybe we've hit six. 
But gosh, if the statistics are true, and again, a stat, this is a stat that um, a Gordon Conwell student gave us. On a Sunday in Beverly, Mass., Beverly, Mass., now the 2010 census says there's 40,000 people in this city. And on a Sunday or Saturday, including the Catholic churches and the synagogue here in Beverly, only 4,000 of those people are showing up at one of these places. So there's 90% of the people of this city, this, you know, let alone the North Shore, Essex County, but 90% that have maybe like Nineveh, they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know this God who's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, willing to forgive wickedness, sin, and rebellion. That's a problem. I want to weep over it. God wants us to weep over it. He wants to transform us. Amen. You stand. Jenna, come on up, worship team. We're going to respond. Everyone, everyone repeat after me. The God who chases me, God who chases me. will catch me. The God who chases me will make me fruitful. The God who makes me fruitful will tend to my roots. Let him tend to your roots right now. For those of you worshiping with us the first time, we kind of do things reverse. We get the word and then we worship. So we're going to enter into our worship time. And you just respond to God. You worship him. You let him tend to your roots. I'm going to ask faith group leaders to make your way out to the sides here. If you want prayer for something, anything, how silly would it be for you to leave church and not get prayed for? And we were praying before the service. We had a couple of things that we believe God is speaking to us. We're trying to improve in this thing that in Corinthians is called the word of knowledge. So we prayed and we felt like, A, someone has a finger that is wounded and God wants to heal your finger. So if you have a finger that is wounded, sprained, strained, cut, broken. God wants to heal that. And um, we want to pray for you. So you just make your way to these sides here and there'll be a faith group leader who wants to pray with you. <clears throat> another one of the things we caught was, thank you. Um, yeah, kind of a, another little cluster of things having to do with, um, um, well, the word is this, is that um, God wants to settle some of you in your identity in Christ, Right? If you feel like you're tossed about all the time, kind of not knowing who you are and um, just with, kind of overcome with insecurities today, God wants to just solidify, hey, you're my daughter, you're my son, I love you and you can live out of that place. So if that resonates with you, just make yourself known to one of the faith group leaders and they want to pray with you. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Even hearing the rain on the rooftop, we're asking, rain of God, why don't you rain on your people this morning? We need you. We need you to tend to our roots. God, we need the water and the sun and the careful attention of the gardener that only you can do, God. Tend to our roots so that we become not only fruitful, but humble, we ask. God, we want to be a people who know this God and who act from the heart, from the inside out. We act like the sons and daughters of a God who is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving sin, rebellion, and wickedness. This is our God. This is the God we proclaim this Easter time. This is the God we have inside us. And God, we want, oh God, we know that you're wanting to bust out of us. You want to love our neighbor through us in this way. Tend to our roots so that we better reflect the glory of God. And just at the cross of Christ, we come and we give to you. We all have the Jonah self-pity thing. 
if we don't, if we think we don't, we're deceived. God, we all have the Jonah, woe is me. We all have the Jonah, self-pity. We have the Jonah, selfishness and self-absorption. And together, we just lay that at the cross. And we say, God, oh, except by your grace are we going to be changed. We need the grace of God to transform us into a people who actually can weep over someone else's wounding, weep over someone else's situation, weep over someone else's hurt, though they be far or near. Transform us, we pray. Change us from the inside out. Tend again to our roots this morning. We beg of you. Jesus' name.